Hear stories of health, healing, and heroism when you listen to Better Health in the Borderland, a podcast by University Medical Center of El Paso. That's Better Health in the Borderland, real stories, real heroes, real people, found wherever you get your podcasts. They shot him at the river. Robert Rocha was found dead, lying on the ground by his idling truck. To me, everybody was a suspect. You know, you just have a million questions. Those questions have gone unanswered for nearly 30 years. It's, it's horrible. Because it feels like nothing's getting done. Is someone close to Rocha, well known by the entire family, holding back crucial information that could break open the case? That's a, a reason for maybe, you know, him to, to hurt my dad. The unsolved murder of Robert Rocha in this episode of Borderland Crimes, brought to you by KVIA ABC7 and sponsored by University Medical Center of El Paso. It's summer in the desert southwest. The late morning sun is already beating down on the banks of the Rio Grande near Las Cruces, New Mexico. The only sounds are the rustling of leaves in the hot breeze, the water lightly lapping at the river's edge, and the occasional insect. This is Mesilla Dam, it's nearly 45 miles north of El Paso, Texas, just outside Las Cruces. The rural area seems peaceful and untouched. But to Becky Garibay, it represents sadness. And that tree tells it all. Becky pointed to a massive tree across the river. When you see the tree, it's just heartbreak. It looks dead. Its bleached, craggly branches are stripped of leaves and bark. It's sad just to see how it's withered away in years. No life out there. Nothing. And it just feels like my brother's last minutes were there and it's sad that's the spot where becky's brother robert was murdered just listening to the river and how it sounds just passing by and that's the way i feel my case is gone our case my brother's case it's just flowing away it's a place she doesn't like to visit the memories of what happened here are too overbearing but she accompanied me here because she wanted to show me where her brother's life ended and her family's nightmare began. On June 28, 1994, Robert, a Navy vet, was found shot to death. Right there on the river, right on the edge. The 43-year-old was lying face down, nude, next to his truck. And it was still running when they found it, and they found him, and then they took the truck in. 
Full of blood and heartbreak. It's awful. Becky's heart is still broken because 27 years later, no one has been arrested or even charged with Robert's murder. Becky was overcome with grief when she talked about the phone call from her mother early that morning. My mom called me at about probably 1.30, 2, and she says, you need to come over. She said, they killed my son. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, mom, what? We were outside just going crazy. And we just, it was sh shocking. I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, who, what? You know, it's like, what happened? And she just kept saying that. She just kept saying, repeating it and repeating it. My husband went with my dad to go and identify his body. And they came back and, and, and my dad was just grinding his teeth. Really, really awful. And you know, he looked at my mom and told her it's him. And they just hugged each other. We all hugged each other. We were in the living room and we just all held hands and we prayed. Becky's sadness soon turned to anger and frustration. I just want to pull their hair and poke their eyes. I do. I could tell them if we ever go to court, I'm going to jump over that little white fence and I'm going to pull their hair scratch them, whatever I can do, because they, they hurt my family. They hurt my mom and dad. The few details she learned at the start of the investigation led Becky to suspect it was someone who knew her brother well, maybe even someone close to him. My brother, he loved his cowboy hat. That was his treasure. He would take care of it. And... They folded his clothes on the front seat. They smashed his cowboy hat. It was all smashed. And we're like, hmm, somebody, you know, knew what my brother liked and what he didn't like. But hard evidence, shell casings, fingerprints, eyewitnesses, was seriously lacking. Mesilla Dam was a popular spot for young people to gather on summer evenings and over weekends, so it was constantly littered with empty bottles and shell casings from target practice, plus the area was subject to sun, wind, rain, and animals. They've interviewed so many people, and nothing, you know, they did the DN the the swabs and everything and nothing. But Robert's daughter told me investigators gave her information that sparked a notion in her mind that her father's death is linked to someone in the family. I think he had something to do with it. You know, either he was there or he put someone up to it. 
I just believe that he, he knows more than what he's ever been willing to, to say. The startling revelation that triggered her theory is coming up. Robert Rocha was divorced and would spend time with his three young daughters on weekends. His oldest daughter, Stephanie Horton, remembered those fun-filled days she spent with her family when she was young. On Sundays, we'd go cruising down to the, you know, to Messiah Dam, and that was fun. He'd buy our Coke and our candy, and we'd go for a ride. He'd have his six-pack, and. That was our Sunday. You know, and it was just little things like that, that we were always in that truck, <laughs> doing going somewhere. And even if we stayed home for that weekend, we were always at one of my aunt's house or my grandma's house. Like, we were always doing something. In 1994, Stephanie graduated from high school and she was preparing to leave Las Cruces to pursue a career as a flight attendant. His thing for me going, you know, there was like, we'll be able to travel the world. <laughs> because I'll be, you know, either, you know, working for the airlines and he'll be able to come or come visit me wherever, you know, if I decide to move somewhere else. All that came to a halt when her father was murdered. Adding to the pain, Stephanie was told her dad was at Messiah Dam to scope out a location for her going away party when he was killed. After months waiting for justice, she realized she had to keep living. The only reason she eventually continued on her career path, she said, was for him told myself like I have to go like I can't this is what he wanted for me as well so I can't just not go now you know I still have to fulfill that you know that dream so when I did leave I would call the investigator like once a week and I, I know he got tired of me because I could hear it in his voice you know and you know there would be times like he would tell me like I'll call you if we hear anything. Now 45, she's two years older than her father was when he died. She's married with children, living in Florida, and fully aware of how much her father has missed. When you're young, you think 43 is like, wow, that's old already. But when I turned 43, I was like, wow, he was so young. And then I, you know, I look at my kids and say, that wasn't, you know, 43 is not old. <laughs> but yeah, that's the hardest part of it all, is 
you know, us growing up without him and our kids growing up without him. And even, it just not for us, for my grandma. Stephanie's grandma, her father's mom, died in July of 2020. She just wanted to know till her dying day. And it was so hard for her to let go, which was the saddest thing because we all felt like she was holding on because she wanted, you know, she wanted to know and it was hard for her to let go at the end because she didn't have an answer. Stephanie is still trying to get answers. Who killed her father and why? She flew from Florida to Las Cruces in the spring of 2021 for the sole purpose of accompanying her Aunt Becky to the Doniana County Sheriff's Office. They had set up a meeting with the latest detective assigned to investigate her dad's murder. I met up with both of them the day before that meeting at her Aunt Becky's house. I was sitting across from Stephanie in her Aunt Becky's living room. Her husband, sister, and Becky lingered at the doorways and edges of the room. Pictures and collages of her father were propped up against the walls and spread out on the coffee table. How are you feeling now about resolution in this case? I still have hope. Stephanie sat unmoving as she tried to keep from crying. She whispered an apology as she dabbed at her eyes with a crumpled tissue. Auntie Becky keeps me going. Because <laughs> she's, you know, she is. She's very strong, even though she may not think she is. She really is. Um, you know, sometimes I feel, I've, you know, have felt bad because I'm not here trying to push more you know being here for Aunt Becky um, I have four kids of my own I'm married you know my husband's in the Navy so you know I had to live my life as well um, I pray every day though I pray you know for God to please help us just you know for an answer even you know it's been what going 27 years and, you know, even if that person is no longer here, you know, just an answer to who and, and maybe why. Stephanie has her own theories. And she lit on a suspect shortly after the shooting. Which would be my dad's uncle. Stephanie said... She thinks her father's uncle is responsible, or at the very least, involved. And the reason that I believe that is because maybe shortly after my dad passed away and the investigators started to question all of the family, he got a lawyer. He got a lawyer, his daughter got a lawyer, his ex-wife got a lawyer. And to me, that was just odd because he was your nephew and why would you not want to help your sister? Just because a family member lawyers up doesn't mean they're to blame for murder. But Stephanie believes her dad's uncle has a motive. 
She said shortly after the murder, investigators told her this. There was an affair going on between his daughter and my dad. Stephanie said detectives told her her father was dating his own cousin. Stephanie said the cousin told investigators about the relationship herself. And so investigators were asking me if I knew, which I didn't know. That your father mm -hmm. was having an affair with your great uncle's daughter. Right, which would have been his cousin. And so that's why I feel that that's a, a reason to hurt my dad. Stephanie looked at me, and her eyes said it all. She's learned a lot of things no child should about their father's personal life. He was very secretive. He never brought anything home. That's got to be a, a difficult moment, too, because this is your father. Mm -hmm. You have an idea of who your father is and what he is. Mm -hmm. and, and then you're hearing from investigators all these things. That, that must have put your mind in a, a tailspin. Oh, it was. It was... You know, and because they were telling, you know, telling me so many things like this was your, the type of person your dad was. You know, he saw all these women. He was a womanizer. He... They said that? They did, yeah. And so, you know, to me, I'm like trying to take it in, but, you know, but I would tell them too, like, no, my dad was a single man. He might have been a womanizer. I don't know, but you can't, like, you can't fault him for it. He was found nude. And so investigator they you know they told me well he was he was found nude so he had to have been out there with a woman and you know having sex and I I was kind of like well no not necessarily if you had a gun to your head and you were told to take off all your clothes you're going to take those few more seconds to stay alive and do what they tell you they found his clothes neatly folded on his seat. If he was out there having sex, he wouldn't tell the woman, like, hold on, I need to stick, you know, I need to fold my clothes real quick and then we can continue. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. Stephanie wanted detectives to look closer at who would have been angered by the relationship between two cousins. But Stephanie said her uncle hasn't talked to investigators since shortly after the murder. How does this case move forward? Do you think about that? I do, and that's the reason like, I feel it won't move forward because of that. And there's no way, I know that we do, or they do have DNA and that is in CODIS. But because you have to be a felon for it to, you know, to pin somebody, we've never got a hit. She wanted to ask her great uncle, why hasn't he talked to detectives since the start of the investigation? And I just feel like if I approach them, oh, I just, I, and I might be strong enough, but I, and I felt like I've never been strong enough to approach and ask. Not until now. The phone call. Stephanie asked her great uncle why he got an attorney. And could evidence collected from the scene sitting in storage since 1994 hold the key to the case? 
So a lot of this reopening cold cases is looking at what the evidence condition is now, where is it all, and trying to um, make the most of current technology and send it off. Will the Doniana County Sheriff run another DNA test? All that next on Borderland Crimes. Hear stories of health, healing, and heroism when you listen to Better Health in the Borderland, a podcast by University Medical Center of El Paso. That's Better Health in the Borderland, real stories, real heroes, real people, found wherever you get your podcasts. It's been more than 27 years since Robert Rocha was found shot to death at Mesilla Dam in southern New Mexico. 27 years without closure resolution, or justice for his sister, Becky Garibay, or his daughters, including his eldest, Stephanie Horton. 27 years without a face or name to blame. But Stephanie suspects her father's uncle knows something. Now, you may have noticed that I haven't identified him. That's because he has never been charged with a crime or even named as a suspect or a person of interest. Stephanie says the two were close and often spent time together. But investigators told Stephanie that her great uncle refused to answer any questions soon after the investigation began and that he retained an attorney. Robert's sister Becky said that decision by her uncle put a strain on the family. It's hard. It's very hard. Because, like my mom said, don't accuse anybody if you don't know if it's true. You know, and my mom said, it's her brother, and I'm going to talk to my brother till the day I die. I had to let go of my anger and I, I did I started speaking to my uncle again it was hard it's scary very hard Becky choked up when she recounted one of the final times she pleaded for her uncle to talk to detectives I sat in his living room and I asked him to please go speak to them and they said him and his wife said no and so I just like left it. And my mom says, God will let us know when it's time. So that's what I had to go with. And yes, it's, it's, um, it's hard. But like she said, it, one day we'll find out. While Becky has come to terms with not yet having answers, Stephanie can't let go of her anger. I feel like he knows something. He knows, and he's trying to deflect, to try to be funny, to make jokes. 
you know, and it just, it bothers me so much. And I've, I've tried to build the courage to tell him, you know, like, even just to ask him, but I can't, I haven't. I haven't been able to build the courage. But the day before Stephanie and Becky met with detectives, she mustered up the courage to call her dad's so, uncle. You need to use my phone. Tell him you're in town. Becky dialed the number and handed her phone to Stephanie so she could seek answers she so desperately wanted. This is Stephanie. How are you? I'm doing okay. Hi, Mija. What's up? Well, I was just calling. Um, I know last time when I was here, and it was just really hard for me because Grandma had passed, so I'd been thinking about, because um, I didn't talk to you much, and I know you were looking for me when when I was, you know, when I was here before you left. And, uh -huh. Mija, yeah. we, go through, we go through time, we do things, you know. It's like, you know, when, when your dad passed away for months, for weeks, I couldn't act right. Because me and him were so close, you know? Mm -hmm. And when it happened, I tried my damnedest to find out who did it. There were so many roots, so many people, so many guys. And to this day, I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking about everything. Yeah, so we I, think about I, it every day. I understand, Mika, you know. They exchanged about 30 seconds of small talk before Stephanie just went for it. You brought up my dad, but, um, you know, it's been all these years, and we're still trying to figure out who and why. My one question for you, though, like, how come you've never tried to go and talk to investigators? Well, I did. But well, they had me in. They did investigate me. They took me in a room and asked me so many questions. And they asked me about uh, Tony, you know, Michelle's ex-husband that's in jail. They even showed me pictures of him. I didn't even recognize him. Mm -hmm. Her dad's uncle named all the detectives in the room back in 1994, and he named investigators that he wanted to talk to but never did. Stephanie asked another question. Well, they told us that you have a lawyer, and that's why they couldn't talk to you. No, no, they, they took me, they wanted to put me in jail, so... Why would they, they want to put you in jail, though? I don't know. And, uh, well, I, I have my lawyer, okay? Mm -hmm. So I talked to him, and I asked him, hey, you know, I told him the whole story of what was happening. He said, don't worry about it. What was happening, though? I... I really didn't know. They wanted to question me, and I said, "Sure, I'll go. I'll go and question because I'll talk to anybody. You know, I want to. I want to find out." Because there is know. a new investigator on the case. Which one is it now? Um, I don't know her name. I can get it. Um, we're actually going to go talk to her tomorrow. Go talk to her and tell her. Would you like to come with us? Where, what time are you going? At 2 o'clock. It's okay. in Anthony. Stephanie's great uncle said his calendar was clear in the afternoon. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. Because, yeah, if you come with this, it would really no, yeah. help a lot. Okay, Mikha, love okay. you. Okay.
I'll talk to you okay. soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. How do you feel? I feel good. What do you think? I think you'll have an excuse. Yeah, absolutely. You can hear that Stephanie wasn't the only one who thought that, as her husband and Becky also chimed in. The more Stephanie thought about their conversation, the more skeptical she became. He's trying to make me believe that he has gone in to talk to them, because I just asked him, why haven't you gone to talk to them? And he said, oh, I have. I want. And when he said, I really wanted to talk to Robert Jones, and I wanted to talk to Stuart. Those were a few of the detectives on the case at the onset. But if you really did, why didn't you? So this does nothing to assuage your, your feelings no. at all? Mm-mm. Especially tomorrow if I call and he has an excuse. I called Stephanie later on to find out what happened. She said her great uncle didn't go like she expected. Oh, no. no, he did not. Because he had a prior engagements, I guess, that came up last minute. And so, no, he did not. He said he would, wouldn't be able to, but was, you know, did say if she called him, he would be willing to speak to her. But that's when she told us that she wouldn't be able to because of the, you know, him obtaining the lawyer. I called Stephanie's great uncle. I wanted to see if he'd tell me in his own words about his relationship with his nephew, Robert, and to see if he'd share with me his side of the story. Hello. Hi, may I speak with Please. Who's this? Hi, my name is Stephanie Valle from the ABC affiliate in El Paso, Texas. Is this Yes. Hi. Um, I was calling because I'm working on a case involving your nephew, uh, Robert Rocha. And I was doing a, a story on, on the, the murder investigation. And I was just wondering if... if um, I would be able to talk to you about him. Yeah. I was just I was just curious about I heard that you and and your nephew were pretty close. Yeah, me. It was me, uh, him and then another one, Henry. We were all brought up together about the same age all of us. We we used to ride the horses. I used to have horses and we used to go on trail rides and but um yeah. I was I was um, hoping if it's not too forward to just ask you about how how you felt about when you found out about his death. It must have been so hard. Uh, found out about what? About his death. Oh yeah. Yes, ma'am. My sister called about two o'clock in the morning, something like that, and we were asleep, me and my wife, and that's when we found out. He told me he spoke to detectives, but he didn't offer up any details about what he told them. I asked if he had an attorney still. 
I don't have an attorney. You don't you don't have an attorney anymore? No. <laughs> Uh, so, so would you be willing to talk to investigators nobody, again? Nobody has called me. He said the only person who has called him about the investigation was his niece, Stephanie, to invite him to speak to the detective. I couldn't go that day. So would you be willing to talk to investigators then? Again, I mean, I know you said you already did, but I'm just, I know that they're trying, they being, you know, his daughter and his sister, what? they're trying to get some more attention on this case, and they're just trying to get anybody who knew him to talk to investigators. And there's a new investigator on the case, and so I was just wondering if you would be willing to talk with the new investigator. Just yeah. Wondering. Stephanie, sure. I mean, yes, <laughs> it's no problem. Is there something that that you think that maybe you could offer them that that would be able to be beneficial in the investigation? Not that I know of. And this, like I say, it's been such a long time that uh, we don't remember a lot of things that went on at the time, you know, things that happened. And but I wouldn't mind talking to somebody. I mean. Why not? I mean, I don't have nothing, nothing to say. That's what, what? So sure. I mean, I know that the the family had been distraught. Oh. I guess that that they felt like that you weren't um, talking with investigators. You know, they they set up all kinds of meetings and talk and everything else. And the times that I find out about. What they're doing or what who they've met is through the newspaper. Cause they never call me or let me know nothing that's going on. Just but I don't mind talking to somebody. At this point, I felt I had to ask him about the controversial and even inflammatory details Stephanie told me that his daughter and his nephew were dating. Something I did want to ask you that, that Stephanie mentioned to me, um, she said that she had found out that her father had been dating your daughter. So, I mean, obviously, first cousins dating is, is obviously controversial. And, and I was wondering if you knew about that and if that was something that caused any problems between you and, and Robert. No, I don't think that's true. Uh, Why don't you think it's true? I heard that she had told the investigators herself that that was what was going on. Who, who, who told the investigators that? Stephanie said that your daughter told investigators that. Who told Stephanie? You know, that little girl has got so many things messed up. And when she was living with her dad, you know, why, why don't you come and talk to me here at my house? You know, that little girl, I don't know about her, but anyways, if you, race. <laughs> if, if you want me to go and talk to you at your house, I'm more than willing to do that. Sure. I, uh, what is your address? I got his address and called back minutes later to confirm the date and time, but his wife answered the phone 
She said she was concerned her husband was being accused of having some role in Robert's death. And she also said she and her husband decided it wasn't a good idea to speak to me about the case. When Doniana County Sheriff's investigators collected evidence from the scene on June 28, 1994, they found an open drink container left inside a cooler in Robert Rocha's truck. I asked Doniana County Sheriff Kim Stewart if they were going to run new tests on the evidence. You have to consider the passage of time. We are looking at DNA for this, but have to remember, degraded DNA has only been uh, something we could assess or we could quantify since about 2008-2009 in the United States. Her response was cautious. But you should know that Sheriff Stewart is passionate about cold cases. On her free time, she works with civilian investigators to poke around unsolved crimes across the country. She once worked as an officer in Santa Barbara, California, and investigated murders that later were linked to the Golden State Killer, who was sentenced in 2020. She finds hope for Robert Rocha in the fact that DNA found the Golden State Killer decades later. A lot of this reopening cold cases is looking at what the evidence condition is now, where is it all, and trying to make the most of current technology and send it off. Stewart has been the sheriff of Doniana County for about two and a half years. Since winning the election, she's revamped how the office handles unsolved cases. For years, they were assigned to civilian investigators, mostly retired law enforcement officers. But Stewart has taken those cold cases and divided them among detectives actively employed with the sheriff's office. She says this gives investigators more authority than civilians to pursue leads. To me, any time we can keep even, even a partial light on some of these uh, older cases, that, to me, there's always hope. Stewart believes in her detective's abilities, as well as in her own approach to handling cold cases. The reality is this. The 27-year-old murder of Robert Rocha has a box full of files, statements, and evidence for each year it's been open. And Stewart says she and the detective assigned to the case are still combing through each item in those boxes, trying to retrace the steps that were taken since 1994 to see which leads went nowhere and which ones needed more legwork. Plus... If a person of interest retained a lawyer, investigators are limited. We just want some closure. We want to move forward 
and we hope we can make something out of this case. But I do believe in this case it will take a couple of people to really be forthcoming about uh, the circumstances of that night. What will it take for someone to break their silence? Sometimes it's the overwhelming burden on the conscience. After all this time, does that weight become too much to bear? Stewart thinks so. I am aware of, of people, and not a huge number, but a very few uh, number of people that broke off cooperation with us early on. I think it would be helpful for, for those secrets, whatever they are, to be fully discussed and fully uh, brought forth now. As people near the end of their lives, or they become, uh, have chronic conditions, or they become ill, um, I have seen those things change people's desire to come forward. I've also seen it where a family member has died, and that person may not be the suspect, but maybe that's the mother or father of a suspect. And now the family is more willing to talk because the person they were really trying to save their feelings or their that not break their heart, so to speak, that barrier is removed. So they should never discount the fact that just aging is, it, it does change things. Since 1994, several members of the Rocha family have died, including both of Robert's parents. The lack of justice hurts those who remain determined to close the case. My dad was just heartbroken. My mom and dad weren't, they were not the same. They, they were lost. That's what keeps me going, because they hurt my parents. They hurt my parents so much that I just want to see justice for, my, for the family. My biggest thing is, you know, closure for the whole family, for Auntie Becky, because she's worked so hard all of these years. She's always been there. You know, she does interviews. She's gone to the victim's walks. Like, she will go out of her way for everything. You know, and I, I thank her from the bottom of my heart. If you have any information about the murder of Robert Rocha, you're asked to call Las Cruces Crime Stoppers. The number is 1-800-222-TIPS or 8477. Someone out there has to know something. And just, you know, every day I just pray, like, some, give somebody the courage, Lord, to finally, you know, just say something.
Borderland Crimes is a podcast researched, produced, and edited by me, Stephanie Valle. Stay tuned. A new episode is coming soon. Thank you.